Don't do it, Scott. What? <laughs> it's Christmas. No, it is Christmas. I'm holding my gift from you. I want Wait to open it. Wait just a minute. Just... Stop with that. Okay, I'm just going to get the end <laughs> cracked open there so I can make it easy. So today uh, on True Crime on Easy Street, this episode uh-huh. uh, is the great Christmas present swap of 2023. However... I don't think we can call it great because someone... Mediocre, perhaps? Someone, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the mediocre gift exchange (laughs) of 2023. Merry mediocre Christmas. They're sitting on my counter at home. Scott left our gifts at home. Yeah. You don't need them until January the 1st. Look at at the wrapping paper. Look look at what Katie and I have brought. Do you see the time that has been taken? Yeah. And how? It's terrific. I cannot wrap worth a crap, but I will buy pretty paper and a big giant bow to try and just make it. Yeah. 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 I do like to wrap. Mine are are in bags. They're cute bags. Cute bag. Mine looks like a Santa and it says ho, ho, ho on it. I'm not going there. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, your bag says many merry thanks. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited to see what what I got, and when we're finished swapping mm-hmm. the gifts that did make it into the studio today, yeah. I will tell you guys what I got for you. Oh, that's even better. Ruin it. Oh, we yep. don't get the the pleasure of opening yeah. the gift. All so. right, then fine. I won't tell. Perfect. you. Perfect. This is exactly what mediocre feels like. <laughs> <laughs> you guys should be used to it by now. <laughs> I'm messing with you. I'm Kelly Turner. I'm not a doctor. Scott Wright, mediocre journalist and gift giver and gift giver. Katie Givens, not a lawyer. <laughs> and I'm a little hoarse today. I do apologize. That's all right. Did you karaoke last night? No, this is from the Christmas cabaret. Oh. When mm-hmm. I had to work in the kitchen and, and yell at everybody. And bark all night, I guess. And <laughs> really? Just, you were barking in the kitchen all I night? I so. I did not realize that. Okay. Because <laughs> yeah. I didn't see you. No, you wouldn't. I have. didn't see anybody. I I look at the wall. I think we should uh, talk about the Christmas cabaret because we really couldn't promote it on the show a whole lot because it sold out so fast. It did. It did. Um, so I guess look for it next year. Um, next year, uh, Easy Street and Theater Center, a local community theater group here right. in Center, they collaborate for something they call the Christmas cabaret. Mm-hmm. It's a fundraiser for the theater that Easy Street is so kind to to do. Yeah. And it'll, it'll um, fund them in 2024. There yeah. Three productions there are three next productions year. for next year. And so, uh, kudos to easy street and all the crew for that. It was, I, I came. Yeah. You were there. And it was such a lovely show. Scott was the MC. He did a fantastic job. Oh, thanks. You the did. first, do you guys realize that the first thing out of my mouth was a mistake? What did you say? Because when I got up to the microphone the very first time, I said, welcome everybody to another episode of True Crime on Easy Street. It <laughs> yeah. just fell out of my mouth. I couldn't help it. And then I had to cover and, and recover. Are you kidding? That really was not a that joke. That was not a I joke. I thought it was a joke. Good. I'm glad you did. And now I everybody was, knows I that I screwed it up. I was in the kitchen during that. I didn't even hear Yeah. So I realized Travis, immediately. I was sitting I looked at Travis. you as soon as I said it, Kelly. Yeah. yeah I was laughing. See. I laughed. I know. And I thought, okay, if she bought it, maybe everybody I else re- did too. Honestly, honestly thought uh-uh. that it was a joke nope. and I was like oh I love that and I love the shameless plug it got me off balance I wish I'd thought of it but it just podcast. fell out of my mouth so that got me off balance and it was about 20 minutes before I got my feet back under me and because I screwed up the lyrics to the song on the first chorus of Redneck 12 Days of Christmas no yeah, you, you skipped I, me oh I know. no yeah. which I was not sad about yeah. it was fine. Uh, Katie was eight table dancers mm-hmm. <laughs> so 
<laughs> Which I got told about about 30 minutes before. Yeah. Not really, but about the day Well, before. we all knew it. We were just saving it for you till the very end. Yeah, it was like, yeah, Katie wasn't at practice on Monday. And it's like, yeah, Katie wasn't told to be at practice on Monday. I think they were just trying to ensure that you would actually do it. And let's just tell her at the last minute and she can't say no. <laughs> Little do they know, I have a difficult time saying no anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Especially yeah, but we had a, a bunch of the cast came out. We did the Redneck mm-hmm. 12 Days of Christmas. And so uh, they had their props as I went through the second time and the third time I got it right. It was great. You yeah. guys all did. But Everybody did a fun. great job. I got the pleasure of being just a spectator yeah, this year. Because you were on stage with me last year. Yeah. And I, I loved being a spectator. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I like to participate, but you know, we weren't sure until the last minute that we were even going to be able to come right. and we were able to, and we had a, a great time. Every, every performer did a fantastic mm-hmm. job. I'm not even going to try to name them all and yep. I'm not going to no. spotlight any because everybody deserves a spotlight. So if you are listening and you performed fantastic job and I probably found you that night and told you yeah. <laughs> because I was. There's so much around. talent in this community. A lot, insane. a lot. And so it was, it was a it was really a nice time. And so be sure and think about it. And uh, when you see that hit Facebook mm-hmm. or Instagram yeah. on Easy Street's uh, page or Theater Center's page, yes. go ahead and get your tickets. Yeah, if you get a, uh, let's just suppose that you get a desk calendar yeah. For Christmas. Yeah. Go ahead and flip forward to December and circle. Well, maybe even in November. Just circle. right at right day after cabaret. Thanksgiving on Black Friday, buy my cabaret ticket. Yep. <laughs> It'll be sometime in the middle of December. Yes. And the house, it was a full house, but it was not so packed yes. that you still couldn't enjoy it and have fun. It was mm. just right. It was. Which is how the ticketed events go there. Yeah, they're going to easy street. I think Shane talked to me about possibly he's going to try to find another piano and he may do some dueling piano shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a, had a guy who uh, performed and played the piano yeah. and was incredible. That was Tim Fugit. Yeah. Who did a great job on the piano. Man. He did a version of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer that I had never heard before that I, I found out later he just made it up. It was very soulful. Yeah. So almost like a Ray Charles thing. Yeah. So he's, they may do some dueling pianos. If that happens, we'll definitely promote it here and let you guys know. Mm-hmm. But there is something coming up. Tell us, Katie, what's coming up on Easy Street on New Year's? Yes. They're going to have a disco show mm-hmm. on New Year's Eve. And it is a ticketed event as well. So mm-hmm. you can get, there are still uh, several tickets left. Okay. Um, I think we're going to hold some too for the door. Okay. Like some, you know, a walk-in situation. I but think I have it, a butterfly-colored shirt in the bottom of a box somewhere yes, that it will is a, be just the thing for that. We like a dress-up event, so yes, come in yeah. your best 70s or, you know, disco attire. and Oh, yeah, and it'll be a ticketed event, so it won't be so packed mm-hmm. that you can't enjoy and yeah. have fun. And so. um, it's the Shane Givens Band, also accompanied by, we all know, Jeannie Hatmaker yeah. and Hannah... Culpepper. Culpepper Warden. And there, yeah. there's going to be a horn player, and it's... They're calling it the eight-piece Easy Street Show Band. Yeah, there's a, oh. there's a there's a lot of them. That's a mouthful. Yeah. That's a lot. So yeah. that'll be so much fun to come in here. The band will start around nine, but the doors will open at what time? Can I open this Scott, now? no. Oh. What time do the doors open? I think the doors are going to open up. Uh, okay, yeah. check Easy Street. Yeah, the show starts at nine. Okay, check the Easy Street Facebook yeah, I think page. Doors will open at five, and you'll be able to get all the information that you need because we gotta hype up our main sponsor. Mm-hmm. And it's a Sunday night. 
you're not doing anything else. You're not doing yeah. anything else. Yeah. We're so excited to to promote things that our sponsor does. We're just we're proud to be here. A lot of things will be closed on Monday, so that oh, Sunday yeah. night you can. It's a uh, holiday. You're, yeah, it's, it's you're not going to have to get up and do anything. The only thing I'm going to do on New Year's Day is I have to have my black eyed peas uh, and my collard greens. Oh yeah, every year. A stickler for that, are you? Every year, Katie, who hates collard greens, what? will still eat a spoonful. Okay. On New Year's Day. Well, let's work for him so far. Mm-hmm. It's the only time he will eat. I don't like collards either. I love them. You could do turnip greens if you wanted to do that. I don't like any of the I greens. Do, I, like I could do either one. You put enough pepper sauce in there. Exactly. So throw some cornbread underneath it. Yep. Yeah. Yummy. I agree. I'm hungry now. I've got to put the peas in with the bowl with everything just, else on like, mine. It, it's all just, just one gob. Just make it look gob. like a dog bowl and yeah. just eat it. That's yeah. what I do. I can, yeah, I, as a kid, we'd have, you know, whatever kind of greens and pintos and, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and I I never could get into any of that but I would just Scott Scott Katie's telling a story from her childhood I'm trying to get into this present stop it Sorry. it's not time <clears throat> you're worse than a child I am um, but yeah no I, I would just mix it all together just to try to get it down as quick as possible and I know some <laughs> people cannot do that cannot mix foods like that oh I can that's can. probably turning some people yeah I, right I, I don't understand the folks who who will not let like the mashed potatoes touch the beans. It's a serious but thing. I know people they, who are like yep. that and they are very serious about it. My I don't great, care. My great grandfather was that way. Oh, yeah? And he had a method. He would have all of his things on his plate mm-hmm. and they were all separate. Right. And he would eat one thing at a time. Yeah. That's what I've seen. Mm-hmm. You eat all the mashed potatoes if you're. Mm-hmm. And if then you have move on to the peas issue. and then move on. And we all have our quirks, but that's one I don't understand because yeah. Yeah. it all tastes the same. And it, it, Whatever. You do you. I was him. There's I no wrong him. way to so, eat, I guess. Yep. yep. So right. may he rest in peace. Lovely, lovely man. His name was Lester Barnes. Lester Barnes. I know. Shout it out. sounds like a great grandfather, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. He's great. Anyways. That's a that's a big throwback because he passed away when I was very young. Aww. But I remember him. Yeah. He was great. Cool. Anyways. All right. Scott is yep. not going to be able to stand it any longer. All right. He's, he's now, he is opening the gift from me, ladies and gentlemen. That's, I, they get is that it. enough noise? Yeah, they got it. they get it. There's a, okay. there's a shirt box that he's now opening. Oh, and, he's, and, and I'm big about carrying things. So and that, then there's the, the tissue paper. Oh, wait a minute. That's, that's, uh, the Podfather t shirt. It's the Godfather <laughs> logo, but turned into the Podfather. I like it. That is, and fun. a microphone instead of the marionette. Uh-huh. Uh, control. It looks like the movie. Yeah. Very nice. I'm oh, excited. And it's the it. right size and everything. I'm going to wear this. You know what? Stop the show. I'm going to take everything off and put this on. You have to wear it every time we record now. Sold. Can do. All right. Is okay. it my turn now? Yep. Yep. This is uh, Katie's gift. I would apologize for the mess in the floor, but I don't think anybody will notice. (laughs) It's Christmas in here, too. Am I making enough noise? Yeah, Yeah, that's it. I can hear it. That's good. There you go. All right. Oh, that that box box. looks nice. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should be in the mic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, be careful. Be is this? It's a mug. It says, "Be careful, or you'll end up." In my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love it. My gifts that I left home by it's accident are also uh, podcast themed. Okay. See, um, I guess I'm, I wasn't that thoughtful. Mine are Christmas themed. That's, so it's there's a, no wrong way to do it. No wrong way. Yep. Yep. Well, y'all can go ahead. All, All right. right. You go. Me, to, me go first. Go ahead, Scott. All right. <sighs> <laughs> the tissue paper. For, that's, that's good. 
Perfect. Okay, wait a minute. Let Hold up. What is it? Oh, it's a it's a Christmas it's mug, a Christmas, like a like uh, a carrying uh wine glass. Yes. Like okay. a but a but like a, a Yeti, but a wine glass. Yeah, Shit. gotcha. Yeah. And it's got it's, candy in it. <gasps> I know. She thought of everything. And what does it say on it? It, it says has, it says feeling naughty. <laughs> okay. Well thank you very uh, much. It for makes that. more sense when Kelly opens hers. Okay. <laughs> And uh, she got me two of them. Oh, it's another this one. This one, I thought, this one I thought was hilarious. This is like a Tervis looking. Feliz Navidad. And it's, <laughs> and it's red. And it's red. I love that. Yeah, me too. I like That's it. That's fantastic. And also more candy. Oh, yes. so, and see, now you can swap it up. You don't have to bring your Steelers cup every, di- yeah, every time. Yeah, you well. swap it up. Yeah, it's time for me to start ripping the Steelers apart anyway. We're terrible. Oh, I like a theme. Another podcast okay. for another time. I love yeah, that. Yeah, perfect. I Great like that. job. Great. Okay, Very now nice. it's my turn. Now it's my turn. And I don't have to eat lunch today because I have candy. You have, a, you have two I have Hershey's Kisses and hazelnuts. Yep. All right. So um, tissue paper here. That's good. I can hear Is it just fine. Enough? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, here we go. Oh, I have a mug that matches Scott's little green mug, but mine is red. Yeah. It's like a little wine glass mug, and it says, feeling nice. Oh, so <laughs> she got nice and I got naughty? Yes. I guess that's a Oh, and shit. I got some candy in here. And I got one of those. Oh, lo- that's my favorite candy. That is coconut. Uh, what I Let me see that. They're Ferrero Rocher's, but. And you can't say had- that without sounding drunk. Ferrero Rocher. Yeah. Ooh, that looks nice. But it's coconut. Do I have one of those? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Because I don't think I've ever had and that some before. Hershey Kisses. I've never had the coconut ones either. I okay. had. A, I, oh, they're my favorite. Curious to try that. That is absolutely my favorite candy. I have never heard of it until okay, just this and moment. Then, oh. And then she yeah, got yeah, the English the- version <laughs> of Feliz Navidad. Mine says... Merry Christmas, and it's red. I couldn't decide who to give the Spanish version to. It's Um, a taller Tervis looking. Tervis, that's the word I was looking for Yeah, it looks like a Tervis. Oh, and there's more Hershey Kisses and a a Ferrero Rocher. Ferrero (laughs) Rocher. It's not like the Steve Martin character from the Man with Two Brains. Coke. I didn't. I never even knew what the Coke that those were even coconut. I just oh, thank you, Katie. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't tell Scott thank you, but I don't have anything to thank you. You guys for. want me to tell you what I got you? Uh, I mean, you might as well. So I got you guys these. Uh, well, actually, I got Katie a desk calendar that is a 365 oh. day true crime calendar. <gasps> That's so you, awesome. Every day you get to rip off and learn about a new true crime, which maybe happened on that day. I'm not sure or whatever. Something true crime related happened on that day. I didn't crack it open and see. Fantastic. I and love then, that. Kelly, I got you. Do you know what the $2 million puzzle is? No. So I got Katie one for her birthday. I know. Back I'm, in October. Put, I'm putting that together this week. Okay. So you put this puzzle together mm-hmm. and when you put it together, it, it creates a QR code. Oh. And then you scan the QR code and you might win $2 million. That's awesome. You might win a dollar. Mm-hmm. But, well, or it so, might be somewhere in between. That's exciting. And <clears throat> so, that's going to give me something to do yeah. while I'm off well, during the holidays. Well, I've got to get that to you guys if in the I next ever couple get of it. days. Yeah. yeah I'll I get love on a that. puzzle. That, that's a good, those are great gifts, Scott. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, see, it's like I brought them now. Yeah. Now you have to go out and buy those things because yeah. you told us. I wonder if I can still get that stuff online somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, I promise they're at home. All right. We all believe you. Um, okay. So the the gift giving is over 
and uh, time to get back to work. It's back to work. Mm-hmm. Yep, that was our brief holiday time. I've got a shout out. Okay, go ahead. So, uh, Marsha Miller Ellis okay. reached out to us recently, and she had a reaction. Of, she must be a new fan of the show because she had just heard the. Uh, episode about the Lindbergh kidnapping. Mm, mm-hmm. And she reached out and said that she had a story. That was from March of this year, by the way. We did a two-parter on the Lindbergh kidnapping. She told a story that her mother had heard once from a 94-year-old woman who was around when the Lindbergh kidnapping happened. Wow. And she had been told that her baby looked a lot like the Lindbergh baby, I guess the Lindbergh baby was in the news. He was two when he was abducted and he was the most famous baby of the most famous mm-hmm. man in the world. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure his picture made it into the newspaper. Someone said, your baby looks just like the Lindbergh baby. So after the kidnapping happened, she used to use shoe polish to darken her son's hair so he wouldn't also be kidnapped, she thought. And she reached out and told oh, us Oh, I didn't know where that was going. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't either until the very end of the of the message. She left that on Facebook. So thank you, Marcia Miller-Ellis, for sharing yeah, that story. Thank you. And for you. being a fan of the show. And you know what? That had to be terrifying yeah. for that mother. Sure. For someone to say that, you know, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. Very suspicious. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Shane wanted me to mention that we now have live trivia on Wednesday nights. Oh. So if you're listening to this on, on Wednesday- Easy Street? Yes, December the 20th, tonight at 5 o'clock, and I'm sorry, at 6 o'clock, yeah. and every Wednesday at 6 o'clock, Shane does live trivia behind the bar. It's, it's, uh, we, we've, had the live, or we've had the trivia on the TV yeah. screens. We talked about it recently. Uh-huh. But this is, Shane grabs the microphone and reads out the questions mm-hmm. on uh, Wednesday nights, uh-huh. and he has gotten some $100 Visa gift cards Ooh, that fun. he is going to dole out for first place prizes. Mm-hmm over the next few weeks. So if you still want to have a little extra Christmas money to spend and you're and you fancy yourself a trivia person, mm-hmm. come see us at Easy Street Wednesday oh. nights at six o'clock. I like that. So, okay. Sounds good. Love trivia. That's enough Easy Street plugs for one show. <laughs> but you know you know how I am with, with live trivia and competition. Oh, now I know you're, you're not coming. And now you're putting money on it. Yeah. And I'm oh, like, you're gonna oh, you're gonna make it? You're gonna be there? I won't well this Wednesday I'm not gonna I already okay. have plans. I'll be in Birmingham. You mean today? Yeah, today. Yeah. Today, I'm, <laughs> as you are listening to this, I am probably at the Trans-Siberian Orchestra concert. Oh, fun. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, I'm going to see. Okay. I'm going to see if I like it. Yeah. Didn't somebody go to that last weekend? I don't know, but- or maybe uh, you were talking about KT, going. Yeah, KT and I are going, and uh, we were like, you know, if it's not any good, we'll leave. Uh, right. You know, but- I love, we both love their music that comes on the radio. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, it's so- it's just really good. But he said, well, the first thing going against it is the show's about two and a half th- hours long. Mm, does sound yeah. like a long time. And, but but it, you, the time may disappear. I bet it will go by fast. That's what I'm thinking. That it's yeah. just going to be so good that it's going to go by fast. But mm. I'll let you I'll If let it's you a good movie, know. you don't notice that it's two and a half hours. Right. Right. It'll just poof. You're like, oh, it's over. I don't so know. So maybe you'll I have do. that experience. <laughs> Katie does. I get sleepy in a movie. Yeah, I know. So, I, you know, I'll let you guys know how it was, but that's where I will be All for right. this first uh, live trivia night. But um, I don't know. I'm very competitive, and then you put money involved, and I'm yeah. at least, I'll try. At least this is electronic, so you submit your answer, and there's no discrepancy. I can't argue with a computer. Right. There's right. no... Oh, see, no I, one, I no see one, where this is going. No one deciding what the right answer is. <laughs> mm, or allowing others to write Yeah, it's multiple, multiple yeah. choice, yeah. 
Yeah, that, that is equal to your very brilliant answer. You'll have to go back mm-hmm. and listen to some previous episodes to find out what the hell they're talking about right now. I'm, but I am being dragged down the road. The, the bitterness runs deep. Wow. Uh, <laughs> never forget. Yeah. Um, I have a shout out. Are you finished with yes, your I shout am. out? Yes, I am. I'm done. Okay. So on Apple Podcasts, we have a five-star rating. And the the quote at the top says, y'all rock. Yay. Exclamation point. Well, we knew that. It's so nice to finally hear true crime, uh, to hear true crime by folks with my accent. <laughs> Plus, y'all are hilarious. Please keep it up. Thumbs up. And it's from someone called Cluckles. Well. K-L-U-K-L-E-S. Cluckles. Cluckles? Cluckles? I'm going with Cluckles. Cluckles. Yeah. Cluckles. So, thank you. Yeah, nobody wants a Thanks, nickname Cluckles. that you have to mispronounce <laughs> or that might be mispronounced. So I'm going yeah. with Cluckles mm-hmm. on so that. So thank you so much for listening and for that those nice words and your five-star review. And I truly appreciate that. Did we, we have yeah. did we have anybody else who reached out on uh, Spotify? Uh, as that's far as, that's um, Katie's purview. We may have now that you say that. Um, Let's see here. I'm, I'm just checking. Of course, we, we had uh, Ethan, who uh, who's always so yes. gracious, Ethan Laney, to yeah. reach out to us. says, great episode as always. So there, that's for you there, Scott. Oh, okay. So, Thanks. Uh, right I know that so. he... Uh, I know that, that may have been the one I saw too. Yeah. Ethan okay. likes trivia because uh, mm-hmm. I saw on Facebook last week that he and his family finished second at a trivia contest in Birmingham. I'm sorry, in Gadsden. Mm-hmm. So in addition to being a true crime fan, he is also a trivia fan. They are trivia people. Kelly is yeah. not. Yeah. I am a trivia fan. I I, I love too hard. Uh, I love too deep. Yeah. I understand. That's my problem is I'm a little too competitive. But if it, you know, if it's a computer, then I, you know, that's just my, my dumbness that you can't argue <laughs> with that. Uh, I can try to argue against my dumbness with a live person. Yes, that you was- know. That is exactly what I said to you. Yeah, but with a computer, I can't really argue. So uh, maybe I'll do do better with that. All right. <laughs> so we are back for part two. Mm-hmm. Last week, you gave us a nice intro into the world of Whitey Bulger. Right. I went home and watched Black Mass. Kelly, it was uh, she, fantastic. Katie forgot to watch it. Yeah. Oh, but that's not as bad as me forgetting the Christmas presents on the Christmas mm-hmm. show. True. So free pass. <laughs> But I am very interested because I did do a little digging into Whitey Bulger. Oh, yeah. Um, when I was uploading the episode, just sitting there waiting for it to upload, I was just looking around. So okay. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Well, and after watching the movie, I know there's a few things, Scott, that you've got to cover in this part two episode. Well, I hope I do now. Because I was, I was wondering, you kept saying last week, how does a, an informant for the FBI... Get this far. Oh, yeah. We're going to cover some of that. And uh, there is a, a very mm-hmm. uh, special way that that happened. Yep. And so, you know, I'm, I'm excited for you to cover that today. But th- but they reveal that in the movie. Mm-hmm. They sort of show you what's, what's going on. But uh, you were right. Johnny Depp is almost unrecognizable. Unrecognizable as Whitey Bulger in that movie from 2015. Black Mass, it's called. Yeah. His, the blue eyes, they look weird. Yeah. They just look... Um, Demo- well, they do. They, they look demonic. Have, they look scary. They might have gone a couple of shades lighter on the contact lenses just to make him look even more creepy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it hard to creepy. tell with all those it black and white photos of Bulger as a young man, mm-hmm. those mug shots. But I think maybe his eyes weren't quite as ice blue. Ooh, they were scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in the film, very frightening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Menacing. But great. Great movie. 
enjoyed it. All right, you guys ready? Um, yeah. yeah. All right, so when we cliff hung you last week, 36-year-old Whitey Bulger had just been paroled from federal prison after serving nine years for bank robbery. He had spent 28 months of those nine years at Alcatraz. But now it's 1965 and he's back in his hometown. He's in the South Boston area. He spent the next couple of years bouncing back and forth between legitimate jobs and kind of working part-time as a criminal, I mm-hmm. guess. But it didn't last for very long. He tried it for a little while. Even the domestic life. He met a woman named Lindsay. Um, you guys want to help me pronounce this? It's C-Y-R. Is that Sir? Seer? I'm going to say Sir. I'd say Sir, yeah. Lindsay Sir, he met her one day while he was uh, eating in a neighborhood diner, and he in- ended up having a son with her, a little boy named Douglas. He was born well, in May of 1967. A, now, that was a jump. <laughs> yeah. Well, we all know- I think you blah, blah, blah over something. We he know what happened a, nine months before he, May of 67. He, he met her in a diner, and yeah. they ended up having a son. That was some coffee well, they, they, they were Well, they were dating for a while, and he was spending okay. some time with her. He still officially lived at home okay. with his mother. Really? Yes. He's how old? He's 36. But he has been in Oh, but he's been out of, he's come out of prison. Yeah, he's just back from prison, so he's getting back on his feet. But he's spending a lot of time over at Lindsay's house. Okay. Uh, Most nights. Doing more than having coffee at the diner. Yeah, they they, uh, graduated from coffee to other things. Uh, Sounds like it. At least one other thing. So then had a son. Yeah, that's the character that Dakota Johnson played in the film. Mm -hmm. So this girl, Lindsay, she has a a big effect on Whitey, even... It was enough that he considered becoming legitimate, at least for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was going to try to be a decent human being, but he was worried about the fact that he had a son because he was getting back into the crime as well, and he thought that made him vulnerable. So yeah. there was a discussion amongst the two of them about possibly not having the child, but the but Lindsay was adamant, no, I'm having this kid. You figure out how to keep him safe from your nefarious dealings, whatever they are, because she was never exactly clear on exactly what it was that he did. She said once he stopped going to work, but he always had plenty of money. Mm -hmm. So she knew he was up to something, but he purposely kept the details from her. Yeah. Uh, Once I'll give you an example. They were out after uh, a night at a bar on West Broadway uh, in South Boston, and someone started shooting at them and Whitey calmly returned fire and then Mm -hmm. held the door open for her. They got in the car and drove home. Yep. That's not out of a movie. As you do. <laughs> yeah. So during this time, and this is the late 60s, the early 70s, Whitey and his gang, there's this war that goes on with the mafia, the Angelo family. And it's kind of a hot, cold, hot thing. Sometimes they work together. They can find a way to, to coexist. And then other times they get crossways and they're fighting with each other mm-hmm. to the point that people are getting knocked off. Mm-hmm. And so that's possibly where that gunfire came from that night when they were leaving the bar. But, you know, that's one thing. But what we won't tolerate is not having manners. So, yeah. I'm glad he opened that door He's held the door her. open yeah. for her. Yeah. Always a gentleman, that Whitey. <laughs> when Douglas was a little baby, about three years old, the family took a trip out to the West Coast hmm. uh, to visit where Daddy used to live. Oh, what, Alcatraz? Did they go to Alcatraz? Took the baby to Alcatraz. No. Spent the day walking around. Now, this was before Alcatraz had closed in 63. Mm -hmm. So this was 68, 69. Maybe he was two or three years old somewhere. Oh, so this is a legit vacation. A legitimate vacation. Because you go to Alcatraz now. Yeah. Well, back then, it wasn't officially a national park yet, but there was a ferry that would take you out there every day. And guys, I've done that tour. Mm -hmm. And I have never in my life been more exhausted 
than after walking around at Alcatraz for about four hours because you have to go, it's uphill, mm-hmm. uh, this tiered roadway that takes you up to the top and then you walk through every bit of the, yeah. of the prison blocks themselves and then back down again. It's an exhausting day. I can't imagine dragging a three-year-old. Ooh. No, the one time I went to San Francisco, I was we were doing your itinerary. If you go somewhere that Scott's been, he's going to give you oh, an yeah, itinerary. Sure, nice. And but I got deathly ill and not deathly, but I got oh yeah, really sick and had to come home early. So uh, oh no, there was no Alcatraz for me. Oh no, that yeah. might have been my fault. I also, sent to I this think place where she got food poisoning. Got food poisoning. Oh, what place? It was a fantastic place. It yeah. must have just been a freak. It, it's uh, it's called the. <sighs> The Tonga Room? The Tonga Room. Okay. It's in the basement of the Fairmont Hotel. Okay. It's a fantastic... It used to be yeah. a pool. Mm-hmm. And then in the 40s, they converted the pool into a bar, and they kept the pool in the middle. Mm-hmm. And now that's where there's a raft, and every night the band comes out and gets on the raft <laughs> Fun. And, and plays. It's an 80s cover band. I love and they it. they play on the raft. Yeah, it was a great time. Great atmosphere yeah. until the sickness. It's, it's oh, where you can man. get a tropical drink that is two feet tall and two feet wide and has umbrellas and... Mm-hmm. ferns and lays and all kinds of stuff hanging that. off of it. Okay, so we don't don't know what happened, but just got sick and had to had to had go to home. come home before but, the Alcatraz trip. But yeah. Scott had a great experience at the I did place. and so, at the okay. Tonga Room. All right, so all right. <laughs> anyway, that's a sidebar. I didn't mean to that's take. All right. No, no, that's good. Glad yeah. you did. All right. Okay, so for the first uh, the first six years of Son Doug's life, Whitey was he was turning back to a life of crime. He was involved in loan sharking, illegal gambling, and extortion, uh, extortion, among other crimes. The war with the mafia got calmed down for a while. They found ways to work together with the Angelos, Whitey and the Winter Hill Gang. Mm -hmm. And there was eventually a change in leadership at the Winter Hill Gang, uh, which had moved to their headquarters became a garage in Somerville, a, a, a residential area in that part of South Boston. It was called Marshall's Motors. It doesn't matter, but they, they worked out of a garage. That was okay. their, but they worked on cars in the front and then the office was in the back and that's where they planned their next whatever. Uh, the head of the gang, the reason there was a change in leadership was because Howie Winter, he was the leader of the gang. He was eventually sent to prison for extortion. He was running a, a scam. He was trying to get all the little mom and pop stores in the area to use his pinball machines in their stores. And some did and some didn't. And so he got crossways with the cops when some mom and pops turned, in, uh, turned him in. Hey, there's a guy coming by trying to extort us and make us use his pinball machines. We already have a pinball machine. Anyway, he ends up going to jail, and that's kind of when Whitey starts to take over the Winter Hill Gang. Unfortunately, little Douglas only lived to be six years old. When he was six in the uh, fall of 1973, he took ill. He got Rise Syndrome. Yeah, from too much uh, aspirin. Yeah, I didn't realize that that was a thing. But yeah, and back then, uh, if you believe the scene in the movie, and I think it's based on reality, the the mom called in and the doctors just said, give him some aspirin. He's, he's, he's got, got a fever, fever, right? Give him some aspirin. Well, it turned out that he had that adverse reaction to aspirin and it made his brain swell. And, and there's no coming back. There's no coming back oh. from that. So he was six when he passed away. Uh, now, before I forget, Whitey's little brother, Bill, he was no longer a member of the House of Representatives. Remember, we told you last week he got elected to the House of Representatives in 1960 mm-hmm. and was very influential in helping Whitey uh, get the best treatment he possibly could while he was in Alcatraz and other federal prisons. Mm-hmm. In 1970, he was elected to the state Senate, little brother Bill. 
And by 1975, he was well on his way to becoming one of the most powerful politicians in the state of Massachusetts. By 1978, he would be elected the president of the state Senate, which basically makes you the second most powerful man in the state after the governor. Yep. I think it would be fair to say. Mm-hmm. Not a bad person to have in your corner. No. If you're a psychopathic criminal. And you've got a brother who's just bound by loyalty, yep. unwavering yeah. loyalty. Absolutely. As the Irish do. Yep. So the, along that, the South Boston, yeah, that whole yeah, Irish just that Irish that, we that know, yeah, yeah, those Irish folks. They, are, they show that a lot in the movie yeah. too about the 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 bond they have. Yeah, they lean on that. Loyalty. Hey, loyalty, we're the blood sticker. It doesn't matter what's written on this piece of paper. Yeah, it's, it's not blood. It's not loyalty. It's not. We yeah. grew up together. That's no, better. That's above everything. So uh, one of the things that Brother Bill had done for Whitey along the way was he gave him a part time job as a night janitor at the Suffolk County Courthouse. But Whitey never went to that job. <laughs> well, he did for a little while, but as soon as he didn't have a parole officer anymore, he stopped going. But he stayed on the payroll for years mm. just so and that the, he would have a legitimate job for tax the, purposes. The courthouse stayed dirty. And yeah. yeah, the garbage did not get taken out, at least not by Whitey Bulger. <laughs> so in 1975, there was a fairly significant mafia presence in South Boston. And although the Italians and the Irish were mostly at this point keeping to themselves, uh, the crimes, like we said earlier, gambling, hijacking, extortion rackets, like with the pinball machines. We mentioned the Angelo family and the hot and cold way that that relationship went. And right now is when we need to introduce to you FBI agent John Connolly. Okay. He was a South Boston native. He was 11 years younger than Whitey, which makes him six years younger than Brother Bill. Mm-hmm. But he was, by the mid-30s, his mid-30s, he was an FBI agent who had been relocated back to the area. And it was going to be Agent Connolly's job to implement this new FBI informant program. It was called the Top Echelon Informant Program. It had been created by J. Edgar Hoover back in the 60s when Bobby Kennedy was the Attorney General to try and go after the mafia. Remember, we talked about how JFK and RFK went after the mafia until John F. Kennedy got killed in November of 63. Mm-hmm. So... By the 70s, Connolly's going to come into Boston. He's going to run this operation where he's going to turn criminals into informants because the focus of the FBI is the mafia. And specifically in this area, the Angelo brothers, the, the Italians. Italians. That's right. Now, just to give you one idea about Agent Connolly's ethical standards, one of the ways that he got relocated back to his hometown, that's not very often that that happens. Most FBI agents spend two or three years in one place and then they move to another place. But Connolly, after this transfer, spent the rest of his career in Boston. One of the ways that he got that was to tell the FBI that his father was very seriously ill. Yeah, And that turned out to not be true because his father lived for 10 more years. That's terrible karma. So it really is. this is where Connolly is coming from. Mm-hmm. So it's in 75 when Connolly approaches Whitey. They all grew up in the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Our families know each other. And so this unspoken Irish bond of honor and loyalty drew these men together. There's a line in the film Black Mass. Hang on. There's a line in the 2015 film Black Mass where Depp, as Bulger says to one of his fellow criminals, we should, why shouldn't we work with the FBI to help take out the mafia? The FBI is going to do all of our dirty work for us. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be able to do whatever we want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was basically the arrangement that Whitey Bulger and FBI agent John Connolly made with each other. 
You tell me what I need to know. I'm going to protect you. Mm-hmm. You just can't murder anybody and you can't sell any drugs. That's what, that's the agreement. But did he tell him anything? Well, that's a great question. Not, not a lot. There's going to be a lot of instances over the course of that relationship, which goes from 75 to 95, almost 20 years, 18 years, when records will reflect that Whitey gave some very revealing information about something on one of these 209 forms that Agent Connolly has turned in. But it turns out, after some digging happens later on in that relationship by other FBI agents, that some of that information was actually coming from other informants, and Connolly was lifting it from their 209s mm-hmm. and writing it into, into his own 209 form mm-hmm. to make it look like Whitey was giving valuable information to the FBI when he really wasn't. He was really just one of Whitey's boys. Yes, he was. Yeah. He was doing what he could to protect Whitey. So Whitey was really not an FBI informant. He was the boss of an FBI yeah, agent. That's a good way to look at it. That's exactly right. <laughs> I mean, Which is why they yeah. are, they probably hate this story. <laughs> no doubt about yes. it. Oh, I mean, that's insane. Yeah. There's two agents actually. That- there, yeah, there, were, there, was a, there was an agent, Morris, mm-hmm. who was, uh, I think, I guess an equal to Connolly. And he's played in the movie by the character that plays the uh, police officer in Stranger Things. And his yeah. name escapes me right now. Yeah, he's good. But he's yeah, there it's a it's a great cast in this He movie. seems more they portray him more in the movie as he knows that it's not on the up and up, but he just doesn't say anything. Yeah. He doesn't try to stop him. A passive kinda, participant. Yeah, yes. Looks looks the other way. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So that's And so you gotta figure that Connolly and and Bulger, they're smart guys. I mean, they've got this mm-hmm. scheme where they're basically fooling the federal government. But surely at some point Whitey has to realize, okay, if I help the FBI take down the mafia sooner or later, the mafia is going to be gone and then they're going to come after me. I'm the only game left in town. Yeah. When I'm the only one left. Yeah. Then what I guess happens? he's leaning on that protection. I think that's exactly right. He's Conley. thinking somebody's going to let me know before they come after me, stick a pin in that. Okay. <laughs> well, so, and it goes on for 20 years. Yeah. So yeah, Such something, something yeah, was they, working to say that the FBI dragged its feet on taking down the mafia in Boston would be an understatement or in, in the were, Northeast. I think they helped it succeed. Yeah. Well, not the Italian mafia, yeah. but, the, but the, the Irish, the Irish gangsters <laughs> for sure. So from their clubhouse, their evil lair, the white, uh, the winter Hill gang at that garage and at a bar called triple O's. And before you guys ask, I looked up what the triple O's meant. I couldn't find it anywhere. I didn't look very long. It was a mediocre effort. Triple O's bar. I was doing South- that. In Boston? South Boston, yeah, I was look, I was doing that when I was supposed to be loading Christmas presents into the car. This All right, morning. well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just try to figure that out. If while you find you something on. in 15 seconds, I'm gonna be pissed. Well, just keep talking. We'll okay. See. Now, another thing to understand about Boston: in 1980, the Brookings Institution gave Boston the lowest ranking of 154 cities uh, that were measured for urban travails, just urban blight and crime. The city ranked below Detroit, Newark, New Jersey, and Oakland in the misery index. Unemployment, violent crime, poverty. Boston was a rotten place in the 80s. Mm. But in South Boston, this lost decade of economic prosperity was the... It was the uh, age of success, or the era of success for Whitey Bulger and his Mm -hmm. folks. Because that's a good place for the criminal underworld to operate. Yeah. When everything else is falling apart. Uh, and especially if you have impunity granted to you by the FBI mm-hmm. to do whatever you want. 
One example I will give you guys was from 1978 when the FBI was working on closing down a horse race fixing scheme. Now, Whitey and his gang were fixing horse races at tracks in New Hampshire, New York, New Jersey, Rhode Island, and Pennsylvania. But when the FBI got to the point where they were ready to hand out indictments, mysteriously, Whitey and a couple of his other top echelon guys were left out of that indictment. Mysteriously? Yeah, mysteriously. Guess who John Connolly was, or <laughs> guess who was in charge of that one? For the next 20 years, like we said, from 75 to 94, slow progress on the mafia. All the while, Whitey has already killed eight people by the time he becomes an FBI informant in 1975. Lord. He would murder, in cold blood, another 11 people under the protection of the FBI. Just adversaries? like Yeah, sure. Or, or, well, a lot of times, and you'll see this played out in the film, if Whitey... John Connolly, the FBI agent, will get information from another source that somebody is ratting out Whitey Bulger Mm -hmm. about something illegal that he's doing. So Connolly tells Whitey, and then that guy ends up dead. Guess who killed him? That's one of those 11. And that happens three or four times. Okay. So that's happening. Now, over the course of this period, lavish gifts, trips to exotic locations are doled out by Whitey and his gang to FBI agent Connolly and to agent Morris that Kelly mentioned. Uh, the guys that I mentioned last week that wrote the book that I read, uh, Dick Lear and Gerard O'Neill, in their book, they said that Connolly typically, uh, typically got a white envelope from Whitey every year at Christmas time with about $5,000 in it. And that's in addition to all of these trips and the other lavish gifts that he receives throughout the year. So at some point, Connolly became a criminal himself. And I don't know if that was his original intention. I think we discussed that briefly last week. But maybe just the high life became too high to jump down from. Yeah, He couldn't go back to the old way. Uh, before the roof caved in on Agent Connolly, he would own a condominium on Cape Cod and a Sea Ray sport boat, among other extravagances that he would use. Uh, he would use his whitey bulger money to buy these things. Now, Whitey has already beaten that horse racing indictment. But it's no longer the Winter Hill Gang now. All of the, all of the uh, other folks are gone, and Whitey's in charge. And so now it's just a Bulger gang. Mm-hmm. And now, of those 11 people that Whitey killed during the time that he was under the protection of the FBI, included the 1981 death of a young woman named Deborah Davis. She was the girlfriend of Whitey's right-hand man, a hitman for hire named Steve Flemmy. This is not the one that's played out in the film. Mm-hmm. He had two girlfriends that Whitey had to take care of. Oh. This is one of them. Yikes. Because uh, they were turning snitches? or well, They it, would get hauled in by the cops and then... That was the second girl. And what happened with this one, uh, with Deborah Davis, is she's dating Steve Flemmy. Steve Flemmy is Whitey's right-hand man. And Whitey is reaching out to Steve Flemmy at weird times, two in the morning, weekends on trips. And he's like, I need you to come back to town right now. So eventually, Flemmy has to tell his girlfriend a little bit about what's going on mm-hmm. so that she won't think he's fooling around. Right. So in the end, she ends up knowing too much. She finds out about the connection between Whitey and Agent Connolly. Mm-hmm. And so when Whitey hears, out, uh, hears about that, she has to go. Mm-hmm. So he strangled her, Whitey did, and buried her down by the Naponset River in a marshy area, they would eventually be known as the Bulger Burial Ground. Several bodies buried there before it was all over with. Um, we could go on and on 
with examples yeah. about those murders. But that was Whitey Bulger. You get the idea. No guilt, no remorse, a total lack of compunction. He's just taking care of business. Forget that he's a psychopath. Are you still looking up the triple O's? Yeah, and I, I had it. Hold on. You did? Yeah. Back at FBI headquarters in Boston, mm-hmm. Agent Connolly was basically a celebrity. He had turned the most notorious Irish mobster in agency history into a top echelon informant. That's the official version that's getting passed around at FBI headquarters in Boston. And it was the pinnacle of any FBI agent's career to be this influential and have somebody as high-ranking as Bulger as your informant. So he got a $150 bonus for that. But he would get a lot more from Whitey through Mm -hmm. the years, as Mm -hmm. we've mentioned, including those stuffed envelopes at Christmas time. By the mid-1980s, the Boston FBI had huge uh, had made huge inroads in shutting down the Italian mafia. Mm-hmm. And that success was largely attributed to Whitey, as we mentioned, but that's those fake reports. Connolly is doctoring up his reports to make it seem like Whitey is providing this information. And maybe in some cases he was, if it was something that was to the FBI's advantage when it came to taking out the Italian mafia. Yeah. Now, when Connolly wasn't accepting the accolades of his peers for his successful infiltration of the Irish mob, he was hanging out with Bill Bulger uh, socially. Private clubs, their house, cookouts, that, those scenes in Black Mass are taken from literal examples mm-hmm. of Connolly rubbing elbows with Senator Bill Bulger. Help my brother stay out of trouble Senator Bulger once allegedly requested of Agent Connolly. Although, according to the authors, uh, Lair and McNeil, Bulger would eventually have to deny making that request for his brother well, when, sure. he, when he testified during a congressional hearing into FBI corruption, but that wasn't until 2003. Yeah. We're getting wow, to the 2000s, but we're not there yet. But that, that's when that fell apart, at least for Bill Bulger. And I think we mentioned last week, that was when he had to resign as the president of the University of Massachusetts. Also, he had already resigned from the state Senate. Also, mm-hmm. the fact that 2003 is 20 years ago is makes my head hurt. That's insane. It makes your head hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even start. <laughs> so all the while, Agent Connolly is directing investigations. He's directing anything he can away from, mm-hmm. from Whitey and his gang. Uh, he's doctoring those reports. He's passing along information from other undercover sources that allows Whitey to expand his illegal business. Like if he finds out that so-and-so who's running uh, illegal gambling over in this neighborhood has been captured, well, guess where Whitey is the next day? Mm. Setting up an illegal gambling operation in that part of town because he knows there's no uh, competition anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, The estimates are that over the course of his criminal career, Whitey made about $30 million total. Wow. So that's a lot more money than that in today's dollars. Mm he stored his money in safe deposit box in uh, deposit boxes in three different countries, and he had stashes all over South Boston, buried in the backyard, three holes in the wall. Countries, what countries, countries are we in? Countries. Uh, I know that he went to Europe at one point, okay. so I'm thinking maybe, maybe South America and the Caribbean, possibly something like that, because mm-hmm. they're making trips. They go to Miami Beach a lot. Uh, so Cuba, possibly. If you, well, you couldn't really get to Cuba, I guess. But oh yeah, I guess this, we're too yeah. far. We're too far into this time. Is a, yeah, this is after mm-hmm. the '60s, so you can't get to Cuba. Yeah. So somewhere in the Caribbean, what's uh, what's the island in the Caribbean where uh, it doesn't matter? One of those islands in the Caribbean, sure, where criminal okay. activity takes place. All of them. 
I don't know. I don't either. <laughs> Criminal activity also happens right here. Yeah, in that's true. Zone. You don't have to go to the Caribbean to get yeah, that. The right. Boston Globe began reporting as early as 1988, which was the year one member of this team of experts graduated from high school. I'm How pointing, and he has one thumb, and it's pointing at him right now. <laughs> um, Whitey Bulger had a special relationship with the Boston office. That was the Boston Globe report in 1988. Uh, and the quote, one of the quotes is. The sequence had bitterly divided law enforcement agencies and poisoned relations among many investigators because the state police and other local agencies would all try to get Whitey wrapped up in something because they knew he was up to illegal activity. Well, when it got kicked upstairs to the FBI, the investigation went away. Nothing ever happened. That's Connolly pulling strings saying, we can't go after Bulger. He's too valuable in taking down the mafia. We've got to let him do his thing, and then we'll get him later. That's always the story. So the FBI vehemently denies this story in the Boston Globe. But the rumor lingers. It never really fully goes away. It's November of 1990 now, two years later. Agent Connolly retired from the Bureau, and he took this cushy lobbying job at a corporate security, uh, the corporate security arm of Boston Edison, which I assume is one of the electricity providers in that area. Anyway, it's a major industry, and it's in Senator Bill Bill Bulger's district right there in South Boston. Just before Connolly left the FBI for the very last time, he filed a report stating that in, in his personal opinion, Whitey Bulger and his gang had turned legitimate, and there was no longer any need to go after them. Okay, That was his final report. No longer a threat to law and order. Let him be. Let him be. They're good men. Yeah. During his retirement uh, party, Connolly was singled out for his career achievement with informants. That was the big catch that he had made. He'd hung his whole career on it. Among the invited guests to his retirement party was Joe Pistone. Yeah. Remember that name? Donnie Brasco. Donnie Brasco himself, who had lived five years undercover in New York Mm -hmm. City in the mob. Mm -hmm. He was one of the guests at Connolly's retirement party the two of them are just very different <laughs> wow yeah in the spring of 1993 when somebody graduated from college i'm pointing at me again with my thumb. yeah yeah uh bulger bought a condo in clear uh clearwater florida also around that time the special relationship story about whitey and the fbi that had broken back in 1988 and never really died came to life again mm. and by late 1994 former agent Connolly was hearing through the grapevine that indictments for Whitey and his gang were imminent. And so the early 1990s were a pinnacle for Whitey that became a precipice. Connolly could no longer provide that direct protection since he had retired. All he could do now was pick up the phone and make a call and say, you need to get out of town. That was in December of 1994. On December the 23rd, actually, the indictments were handed down on January the 4th, 1995, which coincidentally was about nine months before Katie Gibbons was born, Hmm. if I did my math right. I was born in 93. Well, shit, cut that out. (laughs) My my brother was born in January of 95. I thought you were 95. How did I get that wrong? No, you're 30 and it's 23. All right, shit, cut that whole thing. (laughs) Or just leave it all in. I don't give a rat's ass. (laughs) (laughs) who cares run the disclaimer at the beginning of the show and just leave it in Uh, everybody knows that this is a 
that uh, that's a possibility. An that- adult rated show. <clears throat> so it's 1995. And there's no hiding the fact that Whitey, now age 65, was a career criminal, crime boss. Still, his family did all it could to protect Whitey. Sometimes it was just silence. Sometimes it was ignorance. Sometimes it was not asking, hey, Whitey, where are you calling from? Mm -hmm. So you didn't have to tell the story later. Don't ask questions you don't want answers. Yeah, exactly. All right, so now we turn our story from a crime family mm-hmm. to a manhunt. Okay. Because Whitey's on the Whitey's on the, the lamb. He's gone. Okay. Nobody right. knows where Whitey is. Yep. 16 years it took to find Whitey Bulger. He had some help. He had a lot of help along the way and we'll tell you about that right after these words from our sponsors. As we head toward the 2023 holiday season, the Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce and Tourism wants to remind everyone who lives in the surrounding area to shop local. Shopping locally means having lunch at a restaurant in town or purchasing unique items in a local shop or boutique or simply filling up your gas tank at the station down the street before hitting the road for a holiday vacation. Small businesses play a major role in maintaining our way of life by supporting our schools and nonprofits and providing jobs in the community. In short, they are giving back. The Chamber encourages you to give back to them by shopping local this holiday season. For more information, visit Cherokee-Chamber.org. Are you in the market for a full-time Weiss Lake home or recreational lot? Let Trini Davis and Elizabeth Powell put their all-star property group at Keller Williams Realty to work for you. Trini and Elizabeth are locals themselves, so they know the Weiss Lake area, and with over 40 years of experience, they're professional listing and buying agents, talented home stagers and photographers, and specialized marketing team will work to make your lakefront dreams come true. Check out the Keller Williams team on Facebook at All Star Property Rome. You can also visit at All Star Property Rome to browse their images on Instagram or give them a call at 706-844-7493. That's the All Star Property Group with Keller Williams Realty at 706-844-7493. You can hit pause, call them now, and make your Weiss Lake dreams a reality. Are you a fan of true crime on Easy Street? Do you love us so much that you would like to be a sponsor? Well, here's how you can do it. Send us an email, truecrimeoneasystreet at gmail.com. We will send you a rate sheet. You can decide what you want your commercial to say, or we can customize it for you. That's how good we are, and that's the service we provide our lovely sponsors. So email us today at truecrimeoneasystreet at gmail.com for more information. Thank you once again to all of our sponsors. Okay, Scott, are you going to finish the story? I am going to finish this story right now. But first, I have to do some math. Hang on a second. I think I have. Well, we already know from earlier in the show, if I didn't cut it, that he can't do math. Yeah, this is true. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) We'll see if if you don't get that joke, I I cut it. If you get it, then I will. Oh, well. So in 1995, when when Whitey hits the road, he's taking his 35-year-old girlfriend with him. Her name is Catherine Gregg. He's got a new girlfriend. Okay. Okay. How old is he? That's what I was trying to figure out. Uh, he was born in 1929, so that would make him 66 years old. Okay. And I have that wrong on here. That's why I knew it was wrong when I saw it. Mm-hmm. Senator Bill Bulger, Whitey's younger brother by five years, repeatedly told visiting FBI agents in the weeks after Whitey disappeared that he had no idea where his brother was or 
anything about, he didn't know anything about his brother's career. I don't know anything. I've heard this, that maybe he was involved in some underhanded activity. Gosh, I don't know. Don't know what you're talking about. Get off my doorstep. See yous. Mm. Sorry, that was my attempt at a Southie accent. Is that Southie? Nope, I think that was more Brooklyn. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, sorry. sounded like, yeah. So by 19, I'm sorry, by 20, uh, 2003, Bulger, who had retired from the state Senate, that's when he was forced uh, forced to resign because they're looking into FBI corruption. Bulger d- refuses to testify until he's granted immunity. And then all that he will admit is that one time after Whitey escaped or fled, he called his brother and they talked on the phone for a minute as if to say goodbye is Bill Bulger's version. Mm-hmm. But that gets him in enough trouble that he has to resign as president of UMass. Mm-hmm. All right, so back to the manhunt. Now, and then what did Bill do after that? I don't Just know. retired? Yeah, I'm sure he kept his pension, and he had a very nice mm-hmm. pension from, what, 20-plus years, 30 years mm-hmm. almost in the state Senate. But he was very popular sure. with the very. South Boston yeah. folks. So I he was wasn't, a, I don't think anybody thinks that Bill Bolger was part of the the crime. I think it depends on who you ask. Okay. Maybe they thought he just turned his head too much yeah. or he knew it's more than he let gotta on. Gotta be a tough spot to be in. You're the state, the leader of the state Senate and your yeah. brother is the biggest criminal in the state of Massachusetts. But he always said, well, in, in the movie, you know, everything Whitey did was noble to protect mm-hmm. the family. Yeah. You know, Whitey won't say this because he's trying to protect the family or he didn't, he didn't show up to this because he's trying to, be respectful of the family when their mother passed away yeah. or something. Yeah, he stays upstairs. He stays upstairs at the, and he at didn't, the church. He's not Paul being a pallbearer because right. he doesn't want to bring shame on the family. That's yeah. what they, you know, that's how they that chalk up every loyalty, action honesty. that Whitey does. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think Whitey does the same thing to, with his family too. I mean, yeah, you know, they all. Whatever they do is is they're doing what's best for their family. Yeah. All of them, all the time. That's what they think. Yeah. So this manhunt is going on now. It's 1996, and it's going to turn out later that Whitey and Kathy spent part of 1996 in Louisiana. Okay. And oh, 1996, great place to be. Yeah, if you want to disappear, I think that's probably not too hard. Hmm. Uh, it was in April of 96 that uh, the FBI finally caught up with the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski. Mm-hmm. Was so captured. They had other things to worry. They about. had plenty of other things going on. That was April the fifth of nineteen ninety six. They found Kaczynski at his secluded mountain cabin in Montana, mm-hmm. and he was considered a domestic terrorist by the FBI. He was on their most wanted list at the time. I could see the Unabomber being more of a threat at this point than Whitey Bulger, mm-hmm. and Whitey's just certainly hiding out. You know, it's not. I mean, the Unabomber it was a threat to everybody. You, you yeah. really didn't know the pattern. Yeah, true. So Whitey's alias for a little while until it got uh, blown up was Tom Baxter. It doesn't matter. But for a couple of years, uh, Whitey and Kathy hid. They went to Chicago for a little while. They went to New York City. Lovely place, Chicago. They finally headed towards California. Oh, okay. Now you can visit YouTube. Then there's a great segment on 60 Minutes Mm -hmm. or from 60 Minutes uh, with reporter Steve Croft that tells the story of what happened the day that Whitey Bulger was captured. Was he, he was captured in California? That's right. Okay. And Steve Croft interviews the people who lived, who were his neighbors, Whitey and Kathy's neighbors. And I'm not going to tell you the whole thing. It's, it's a great story. It's a 20 minute segment on 60 minutes like they always are. Mm-hmm. But it's very interesting about what was going on in their lives. One of the mistakes that the FBI made in their search for Whitey Bulger for all of these years, those years, was that they were looking for 
criminal, a convict, mm-hmm. an escaped fugitive. They weren't looking for an old man and his girlfriend living in an apartment. No, well, yeah. Okay. And that's who and that's, Whitey that's and Kathy on, became. But that's on them. I mean, sure. Of Absolutely. He's older now. He's not doing. Yeah. Yeah. And he's trying to not get caught. Exactly. Like, and he's doing a pretty good job of it. And he's got money. Yeah. He's made money. He's got plenty of money. Yeah. So it's the year 2000 before former agent Connolly was charged for that phone call that tipped off Whitey about his pending indictment. Connolly always defiantly claimed his innocence, but he was ultimately convicted of racketeering and obstruction of justice in 2002 for that phone call. Yikes. He got a 10-year sentence for that, and then in 2008, he was convicted of murder for tipping off Whitey a few years earlier about one of those informants who had squealed on him, and then then Whitey killed him, so he's... Connolly's on the hook for that murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got 40 years added to his sentence for that. As far as I know, he's still in jail today if he's alive. Connolly? Yeah. Yeah. And in the movie, they, they portrayed it as uh, it was a slip-up Conley made to Whitey. He yeah. He didn't walk up and say, hey, it was, it, he, he let it slip. Yeah. But yeah. in the if, film, at least, it certainly makes it look like Connolly because he's always, what's the name of that informant? that you heard that information from yeah, two or he, three times he, in the film. Oh, they definitely make it seem like yeah. Conley's helping. Yeah. Whitey. That he's, he's working for him right. really. Yeah. But that particular scene that it, it's a slip of the tongue by Conley and right. Whitey looks at him and then he knows he's messed up and mm-hmm. he knows what Whitey's going to go do. Yeah. And he just lets him do it. That's right. Yeah. So the FBI had added Whitey Bulger to its most wanted list in November of 1999. They did leave out the fact that he was the first ever top echelon informant. To make the most wanted list. Well, you, as, yeah, as you yeah. do. I think as you, put, you might. I think you got to put quotes around informant. Yeah, that's true talk too. about him. Yeah. A year later, the FBI offered a $1 million reward for information leading to Whitey's capture. And that reward uh, hike was accompanied by a federal racketeering indictment and the official charging of Whitey with 19 murders, including the 11 that he committed while he was an FBI informant. Mm. For the next decade, there were fake Whitey Bulger sightings all over the United States and half of Europe. But for most of that time, Whitey and Kathy had been living in a mid-sized rent-controlled apartment in Santa Monica, California, as Charlie and Carol Gasco. Okay. That were their, those were their new identities. Those are just very common blend-in names. Yeah. And it was only when the FBI began focusing its search on Kathy. Hmm that she and Whitey were finally rooted out. Why did they focus, how'd they know about Kathy? Well, they, they knew. No. Oh. I, don't, I, I don't know, but they knew about her. Okay. The thing about Whitey was, he slept all day and stayed up all night watching TV. He hardly ever left the apartment. Kathy, on the other hand, she went shopping, bought groceries, well. kept regular hair appointments. Mm-hmm. So finally, somebody thought, maybe we should go after her. She li- Nobody's lived gonna like see a Whitey. normal lady. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the FBI would say later, like I said earlier, that that was one of their mistakes, that they were looking for a, a gangster, mm-hmm. not an old man who was retired. And that's exactly what Whitey considered himself to be. He was retired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just he didn't fill in the blank about what he was retired from doing, if anybody asks. Oh, retired, yeah. Uh, so in June of 2011, the reward money for Whitey was increased to $2 million. And Whitey was then the top of the list of the FBI's most wanted list. And that was because a month before, U.S. Navy SEALs had killed the previous holder of that list, Osama bin Laden. Oh. <laughs> wow. 
So after that happened, Whitey changed some of his routines. He didn't have very many, but it was announced publicly. Now Whitey Bulger is the top of our list. Mm-hmm. And so Whitey, he had to do even an even better job of hiding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it wasn't long after that. It was June the 22nd of that same year that Whitey was captured in the basement. Now this Three, is 2003? 2011. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, in the basement of his uh, apartment building. Three days after the FBI started running television ads featuring Kathy on daytime talk show programs, soap operas, Oprah, The View, Ellen. Hmm. Three days. They didn't move? They didn't think they had to, I guess. I don't know. But it, it didn't do I mean, They should have. I mean, they because, got Kathy's picture. Yes, they got Kathy's picture from a uh, from a plastic surgeon. She had some breast augmentation work done a few years before back in Boston, and they used one of the pictures of her from the neck up, of course. Uh, <laughs> oh, to, thanks! Thanks for clearing that up. Well, somebody out there is going. They did what? But they her used, boobs were everywhere. They, they were used, all over the daytime talk show. And they looked circuit. terrific. Yeah, great job, surgeon. It was it, the best. They got yeah. their business was booming that year. <laughs> Everybody wanted the Kathy boobs. <laughs> so anyway, it took them three days. Okay. And the lady, wow. one of the ladies who called was a lady who had bumped into Kathy a couple of years earlier in Santa Monica while she was on vacation. She was from Norway or Sweden, I forget exactly, but she called the FBI three times in three days, and they Mm. finally listened to her. She described Whitey and Carol, Mm -hmm. and she said that she remembered the conversation so specifically because she remembered that Kathy was out every day trying to find a stray cat and feed it. So this lady was staying across the street or somewhere nearby. Maybe she took a daily walk or a jog or whatever, and over the course of a week or two or a month, I think they were on an extended vacation, this family from overseas, Mm -hmm. got to talking, and this lady remembered the conversation, and she's like, yeah, that's her. Mm -hmm. And so they finally figured out, hey, you know what? She's not kidding. So I think she got the $2 million reward. Why did they think, why didn't they believe her? Was it her Because they were getting hundreds of calls every day coming in from all over the world. It just Mm -hmm. took them a little time to piece it together. When she called three times and three different guys said, hey, what about this one? Yeah. She says she knows exactly where she lives. She says it's at Princess Eugenia Apartments, Unit 303. And guess what? Hey, why not just go look? Damn it. Just send somebody out there and check it out. And he calls back and says, yep, it's them. So, the FBI gets Whitey and Kathy's neighbor, who also manages the apartment, Mm -hmm. to give him a call and tell Whitey that his basement storage unit has been broken into. Uh Uh-oh. So, when Whitey steps out of the elevator Mm -hmm. in the basement, he's immediately surrounded by FBI agents. They tell him to freeze, get down on your knees. And Whitey says... I'm not getting my pants dirty. I'm not getting down on my knees. <laughs> Defiant until the end. Wow. And so they don't make him. I think they did, but he was like, in the book, he, he's quoted later saying, I, I, I stepped one step to the left. They're saying, freeze, don't move. Mm-hmm. And don't move. There, was, there was a puddle of oil right in front of him and he's wearing white pants and he's like, I'm taking a step to the left before I do this. And Whitey said, I figured they were just going to shoot me. If I moved, but I wasn't getting my pants dirty. (laughs) So good Lord. 
so what happened to, is it Kathy? Kathy, or? she spent eight years in prison for harboring a fugitive I was about, and, yeah. and identity fraud. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so that was in 2011. Whitey's in, uh, he's held without bond for two years. His trial takes place in Boston in June of 2013. He was convicted by a jury of 31 of the 32 charges against him, including the 19 murders. He was sentenced to two life terms plus five years. So he's a serial killer. Yeah, basically. I don't know. Why don't, why don't we consider mob bosses who commit multiple murders to be serial killers? Because that's not are. their motivation. Their motivation Maybe. is not the, the art or the, the thrill of the kill. Maybe. I just thought it yeah. was the number of people you kill. Well, because that's what, I, when you were saying he murdered all these people, that's why I was asking, like, why? Yeah. Like, like it, it's always to further his yeah. business. He's not just killing for, for the hell of it. He doesn't, it's not fun to him or no. whatever, but he, this it's, is it's to further his, his business. business interests. Yeah. Part Somebody's going to rat on me or I'm going to get paid to kill this person or they have a, a business that I want to take over and the easiest way is oh. just to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. While he was 84 years old, when he was convicted, he was forced to give up $24 million. A lot of it was hidden in the walls of his home, his wow. apartment. He had uh, a lot of holes in the walls behind frames and, and mm-hmm. pictures and mirrors. And he would put duct tape around the edges mm-hmm. of the holes that he had cut so that over time, the plaster or whatever wouldn't accumulate on the floor and give it away that there was a hole in the wall. Gotcha. Okay. Five years later in 2018, Whitey Bulger was found dead in a wheelchair in prison in West Virginia, where he had only been held for a few hours. He'd been moved from another federal prison to the one in West Virginia. He was in a wheelchair. That was how he was transported. He was, he was not a well man. Mm-hmm. Okay. He had been beaten to death by the other inmates. They had used a padlock and a sock. Dadgummit. Why? Yeah, so this is what I saw when I did my five seconds of yeah. Why would they? Why? I think maybe some mafia boss somewhere wanted the bragging rights of saying, I put out the hit on Whitey Bulger, even though he's 89 at the time and in, gotcha. in jail. So and you, he's think it, gonna, you think it was a hit. I it wasn't so. that they, okay. Yeah. And I think there were three guys ultimately who were charged with that murder, mm-hmm. but I think it was probably, you know. They put a padlock in a sock. And beat him to death with it. Wow. And they used a knife, a homemade knife, a shiv. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whitey Bulger is buried at St. Joseph's Cemetery in his hometown. Uh, Kathy Gregg is 72 today. Okay. She was sentenced to the eight years for harboring a fugitive. Uh, she's been a free woman since July the 23rd, 2020. She lives in South Boston with her twin sister. So, I mean, she's, she's she done still her loves time. cats. She's yeah. done her time. She's yeah. out. You know, that's, that's what we do. That's justice. She right. was. That's it. She served her time. And, and now she's, she's free to go. out, free to go. Yeah. No longer considered a criminal, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. She harbored a. She was FBI's in love with a, with a bad dude. <laughs> but she did her time and it's over. Yeah. So. All right. So, guys, there's our long promised true crime on Easy Street 101 version of the Whitey Bulger story. There it is. That was a good one. And mm-hmm. we're still not finished telling the story of the mafia in America. We still haven't talked about Jimmy Hoffa. We haven't talked about. All the mafia had going on in Las Vegas in the 70s and 80s. And we certainly haven't done John Gotti in New York in the 90s. I'm excited for that one because that is the one that I I actually remember. Gotti. In real time. Yeah. 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 That was some. Yeah. Me too. So that was the early to mid 90s. So uh, mm-hmm. 
flashbacks. And I've watched some of those Netflix documentaries mm-hmm. uh, that deal with Gotti in that era. Wasn't so. there a guy that came out that was that was Gotti's hitman? Yeah, and and he he testified. I feel like or, there was a documentary about him. Yeah, that sounds or, right. Am I, I thinking can't about the Iceman? Maybe that's is it. Is that him? Maybe. I don't know. We'll put it all together later. Or Scott will. We'll he's put great it together at, at some point down the road. Yeah, definitely. But that's it for today. Okay. Well, Scott, that was very good. Very informative. The only thing we can find about Triple O's is that a guy named Kevin O'Neill bought the place with a different name and then so named maybe it he had Triple three kids O's. or two brothers. Don't know. They don't O's. really say, but uh, that was the only thing I could find. If that's the only mistake we made today is not getting you the answer to that, I will take it. Yeah. yeah. You did a great job, Scott, well, as thanks. usual. And uh, thank you to all our wonderful listeners. Visit us at truecrimeoneasystreet.com. Five stars or keep it to yourself. That's in, on the Apple iTunes app. And then you can listen to us, if you can, if you choose, on Spotify. That helps us out the most at this yeah. moment. And leave us a comment, and we will uh, we'll publish it and see you on the air. Yeah. Uh, is that it? Are we done? That's it. Good night, everybody.